Exodus chapter 20. We're considering the fifth commandment tonight in the subject of honoring your parents from the fifth commandment, Exodus 20 verse 12. And I know that this is a very familiar passage of scripture to all of us. And if you were an honorary, stubborn child, uh, as I might have been, with a strong-willed mother, like I definitely had, then you might be doubly familiar with this verse. In fact, you might have written it out a few times over the course of your childhood. Not speaking from experience or anything like that. But Exodus chapter 20, verse number 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And let's pray once, once more. Lord, we thank you for our time to gather around your word. We pray that you'd help us to not take it for granted, but now help us to focus, be attentive to your word, and Lord, help us to learn something from it that we might be better Christians, might honor Christ better with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The Ten Commandments are often divided into two groupings. The first grouping of the Ten Commandments have to do with our relationship with God. They're usually uh, the first four commandments, uh, ending with the Sabbath commandment. And then the last four or the last six of the Ten Commandments have to do with our relationship with other people. I don't particularly like that breakdown of the Ten Commandments, and I'll not get into that tonight. But the Fifth Commandment, it's, it's helpful this evening as we consider the Fifth Commandment, because the Fifth Commandment serves as sort of a bridge to the first four commandments and a bridge to the last five commandments. Uh, the home is where life flows from. The home is where we learn to love and obey and serve God. And the home is where children learn to treat others kindly and fairly. So this, this commandment is symbolically, it is literally and symbolically placed in the middle of the Ten Commandments, and I think that's fitting because it is from the home life that, uh, that religious and societal life flows, uh, flows, flows from. Now as we consider this Fifth Commandment tonight, I've got a very, very simple outline uh, for, for us to consider. I want us to consider the who, the what, the why, and the how of this commandment. So first of all, who is this fifth commandment to? Now, the command obviously applies to children. That's the most natural way to apply this commandment. In fact, I won't say who, but before the service this evening, someone suggested that we reserve the first three rows for the children and have everybody sit, sit in the back. And that's kind of how our mind, mind goes. We think that we can just set aside the fifth commandment if we're adults because that's not really to us. But I think it's inappropriate to think about the fifth commandment as the commandment to the children. Now certainly it should be thought of that way, but not only that way. In fact, the Apostle Paul uses the fifth commandment as, or he references it uh, when he gives his instructions to children to obey their parents. He refers to the fifth commandment in, uh, in Ephesians 6, 2, and I think verse, verse 3. So it's clear that this commandment does apply to children, and we'll have some words for the children later on. But the commandment, I believe, is primarily actually to adults. It's just, it, it to me becomes apparent when you consider this commandment within the context of the other nine commandments. All ten commandments, in my opinion, are given from a, an adult's vantage point. The other nine are very clearly seen as commands that are primarily to adults. And I don't think that this commandment was given so that we could get something in there for the children. But I think it is primarily to the adults and, and certainly uh, secondarily to the children. 
So it's to all of us, really. It's a commandment from, from birth to the grave, that we are to honor our father and mother from birth until the grave. So the who, the who of the commandment. But then I want us to see and consider the what of the commandment. The commandment is to honor thy father and mother. Now the idea behind the word honor is, is, a, is a certain heaviness or weightiness to the position of father and mother. Uh, when, we when, we, when we reference the glory of God, what we're referencing is the, the weightiness of his person and his position. He is due honor from us. He is due glory from us because of who he is. And so it is with our parents that they are due honor from us as children because of the weightiness of the position that, that they are given by, by God. <clears throat> to honor our parents is to recognize their, their God-given authority in our life. It is to respect and esteem. It is to cherish and value their roles in our life. And this really runs extremely counter to our culture today. Parents are viewed as detestable, as killjoys, as obstacles to enjoyment and fun and growth in life. And all of this is, is a clear indication of treating parents without the due respect, without the due honor, without the due weight that their position deserves. In our world, parents are supposed to honor their children, not children honoring their parents. An extreme example of this would be when a teenage son comes out as gay to his parents. He is not expected to respect the convictions of his parents, but his parents are expected to respect the newfound identity of the young person. And this is a blatant example, but it's generally descriptive of really how our young people treat, treat, their, treat their parents. If the parents wish to impose any kind of restrictions or regulations on, on, on their children, the parent is restricting that child's ability to self-actualize, to be who they, who they want to be, to become who they want to be. As one man described the family dynamics of our day, he said that we live in an age of intentional orphanage. Boy, that's a, that, that, that's a great statement. Children have cut themselves off from the tradition, from the wisdom, from the experience, from the truth passed down from their parents. But if there is anything in our society that ought to have the alarm bells going off in our, in our minds about the direction that our society is going, it is this. It is dishonoring our parents because there is no quicker way to end in destruction than by dishonoring father and mother. And it's not surprising that in Scripture we find some extremely strong warnings against rebelliousness in a child's heart. Leviticus 20 verse 9 says, For everyone that curseth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. He hath cursed his father or his mother, his blood shall be upon him. That's pretty extreme. Deuteronomy 21 verses 18 to 21 says, If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that, when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of his city, and unto the gate of his place, and they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of, the, uh, the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. God is very serious about the commandment to honor father and mother. 
But notice that the command is, is honor thy father and thy mother. It's not just simply honor your parents, but it is to honor thy father and thy mother. In the patriarchal society that Israel was, uh, it, 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 it's, it's specifically, I think the Lord specifically singles out each individual parent to make sure that the mother gets the due credit, the due honor that she is worthy of. It would have been easy to give that honor to the father or easier to give that honor to the father, but it would have been more difficult to give that honor to, to the mother. And I think, well certainly, mothers, mothers and fathers really both play a vital, critical role in the development of their children. Each one is worthy of honor for their role in the development of their children. You know, personally, as I think about my own home, as, as my wife and I try to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, uh, my wife certainly deserves far more honor for, for doing her job than I do for mine. She is, uh, uh, she is an incredible mother. She is... Um, uh, she, she's far more than I could have ever asked for as being, as being the mother to my children, and I'm certainly thankful for her. She makes up for a lot of wrongs that I do as the father, and she is certainly due the honor of being, being the mother of my children. And it's most often, for some reason, I think there's probably a couple of reasons, but it's most often that children are more comfortable dishonoring their mother rather than their father. I think primarily that's probably because Children are more comfortable around their mother than their father. I think about in my own home, my children would do some of the silliest, the most embarrassing things around their mother, and they won't do any of that around me. I don't know why, but, but uh, and the thing is, is my wife's the one that will make fun of them for that. I, I, don't, I don't do that, but they're, they're more comfortable with, around their mother than with, with their father, and that comfort will sometimes cause them to be more comfortable in their disrespect or their dishonoring of their mother. But mother is still due the honor that she is, she is due. And there's another implication of this command that takes it outside of the home. Uh, uh, one of the fundamental cornerstones of a healthy society is an honor that is due to authority figures in life. And what we find in the Old Testament, really even in the New Testament, is sometimes the authority figures that have no familial connection are called fathers. Israel referred to their king as a father in 1 Samuel 24, 11. Elisha, as he saw Elijah descend, or ascending up into heaven, said, Elijah, my, my, or he said, my father, my father. Paul, in Acts chapter 7, referred to the elders of Israel as fathers, as fathers. And what I'm suggesting tonight is that the command here is more expansive than just to the home. It applies to every area of life where there is an authority figure. You are to honor every authority figure in your life. The Apostle Peter adds some helpful commentary, which I, I think most of us would, uh, would be fine if this was just left out of the scriptures. But Peter said, honor the king. Honor the king. Now, thankfully, we don't have a king, so we can just disregard that. <laughs> of course, that's not true. We're, we're, we're not idiots. We know how to apply that to our current uh, political, political form, political form of, of government. And we are to honor the leaders in our lives. That means that we are to respect the police officer as he is writing you a ticket. Uh, that means that we are to pray for our politicians. Now, now don't, don't misunderstand me. 
Honoring does not necessarily mean always obeying, doesn't always mean agreeing. In some, some situations it does, but in other situations it doesn't, it doesn't mean that. So when we think about our political leaders, we are to honor them, but we do not have to obey them in everything that they tell us to do, especially when it contradicts Scripture. But we should honor not only the political leaders in our lives, but the church leaders, the boss at the workplace. We should honor all authority figures in our life. And the commandment really ultimately points us to the ultimate authority in our life, and that is our Heavenly Father, God. And what we find in Scripture is that the theme of God being a father to His children is a theme that runs throughout Scripture. In Exodus chapter 4, uh, we read, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And this is true of us as well today. Most obviously, we pray to our Heavenly Father. We are His sons. We are His daughters. We are His children. And it is our duty to honor Him as our ultimate authority. And interestingly enough, we honor Him. One of the ways we honor Him is by honoring our parents, honoring the authority that are in our lives. So we see the who that the command is to. We see what the command is. Now I want us to consider why we should honor our parents. And we'll spend most of our time here. You'll notice that in the command, there is a promise attached to the command, commandment at the end of the verse. Uh, verse 12, the end of the verse, honor thy, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God give, giveth thee. Now anytime I see a promise like that in the Old Testament, uh, we have to be careful. We have to be careful in how we interpret that and apply that to our, to our own situation. And Paul does us a huge favor in Ephesians chapter 6 because he takes this commandment and he applies it to the church age, but he modifies it just a little bit. In Ephesians 6 verse 2, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Now I think it is a mistake to suggest that if you honor your parents that you will live to be 90. I don't think that's really the promise that we find here, really even here in Exodus 20, but certainly not in Ephesians, Ephesians 6. I think what is being suggested is that if you honor your parents, it serves your own best interests. You want to avoid a lot of pain in this life? Honor your parents. Honoring your parents will keep you from doing a lot of stupid stuff that you would like to do. And that's really what we see in the prodigal son. The prodigal son would have never experienced eating slop with the pigs if he had honored his, if he had, if he had, if he had continued to honor his, his father. And young people, you may think that your parents are too, restrict, uh, too restrictive or too strict, but you might need to reconsider that position. Because it may be that they're just a little bit smarter than you, just a little bit wiser than you, have a little bit more experience in, than you, and it may be that your parents are not trying to be a killjoy in your life, but they're actually trying to help you not hurt yourself. And we consider the commandment through the covenantal lens, which I think we should do with most of the commandments. The promise here makes a lot of sense. The promise is that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now, even with the Old Covenant Jews, I don't think that the, command, the, the promise is to be understood as if you honor your parents, you'll live a long life. I don't really think that's what, I don't think that's really the primary interpretation of, of the promise. What we have to understand is that the covenant between God and Israel, 
that was agreed upon in Exodus chapter 19 was not, prime, was not meant as a covenant only to that first generation of Israelites that were standing around the base of Mount Sinai on that day. But the covenant between God and Israel was meant to be a multi-generational covenant that spanned many, many generations. In fact, 850 years later, uh, give or take a few years, the Lord sends Judah into captivity because they broke the Mosaic Covenant, because they broke the covenant that God agreed to back here in Exodus chapter 19. So God intended for this covenant to be the basis of their relationship, for them to keep this covenant for a very long time, across many, many generations. And, I mean, if we just look at our country, we realize how hard it is for, for, for anything to be passed down, uh, let alone one generation, how about many, many hundreds of years? I mean, our country is about 250 years old right now. And can you imagine what our founding fathers would think of this country if they were imported into it? <laughs> uh, the disapproval that they would have with the centralization of government, uh, power at the top of federal government. Boy, I think they would be rolling in their graves right now if they knew what was going on in this country. Let alone give it another 500 years. I mean, can you imagine where we'll be in 500 years if the Lord does, does not tarry? It's very difficult for truth and tradition to be passed down many, many generations. And the purpose of the fifth commandment is so that the covenant would be kept and passed down through the generations. And that's why honoring parents is so important because if everybody does their duty, if parents do their duty, if children do their duty, then the covenant will be passed down and it will be kept and they will be enjoying the land. But if there is a breakdown somewhere along the lines, if parents do not teach their children or if children do not honor their parents, then they will eventually find themselves kicked out of the land, which they actually did. God, in fact, did that. And they got kicked out of the land because of their failure to keep the, the, to keep, to keep the, the commandments of the covenant. But you really see the importance of this commandment within, this, within the covenant, within the context of the covenant. It is the home where covenantal faithfulness uh, either is strengthened or it begins to break down. The first step to forsaking the covenant is, uh, is to dishonor parents. When dishonoring parents becomes an acceptable societal practice, then you are going down a path that eventually leads to being kicked out of the, the, the promised land that God has given them. Now, the same, command, the same covenant does not apply to you and I. There is no land grant that is given to you and I as Gentiles. But I don't know about you, but I want the faith that started in my grandfather to continue on not only in my children, but in their children, and in their children, and in their children, and in their children, and, their children, and on and on we go. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful 200 years from now, there are hundreds of followers that are all born-again believers that are serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Wouldn't that be wonderful? But wouldn't that be wonderful if that was true of your family as well? Now, I know that we can't guarantee the faith of our children. We certainly, we certainly can't do that. That's an individual decision. But the best way that I can foster the continuation of the faith through the generations is in my home starting right now. That's where it starts. That's where the battle is waged. Now, with that in mind, there are certain sacred duties that I believe are implied here as reasons why we should honor our parents. Now, let me differentiate between the sacred duties of parenthood and the natural duties of parenthood. 
The natural duties are, are obvious. We are to care for, to love, to provide, and to protect our children. That is the natural duties of parenthood. And there is a sacred element to that. But, but that's physical. We are to physically provide for our children. What I'm really getting at here in the text is the spiritual duties of parenthood. These are the real reasons that we ought to honor our father and mother. And let me give you two sacred duties of parenthood. First, you should honor your father and mother because they are your primary teachers. The primary responsibility of a child's spiritual development rests on the parents. Now turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll see these, see these verses in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our Lord, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Shalt talk of them when thou sittest in, the, in thine house. When thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine head, and thy, they shall be as frontlets between thine, thine eyes. Verse 7, we see the, 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 the sacred duty of parents to teach truth and tradition to their children. You see in verse number 7 the intentionality of teaching uh, found in uh, that they were to be intentional about how they taught their children. Everywhere you go as a parent, school is in session. Uh, out in town, you're teaching. Lounging around at home, you're teaching. About to go to bed, you're teaching. Just got up in the morning, you're teaching. It is always time to teach your children. The parent must always be prepared to teach spiritual truth to the child. But notice also the repetitive nature of teaching. You can't teach your child too much. Truth needs to be reinforced over and over again until truth becomes as convicted in their heart as it is in your heart. Now there are two ways that teaching takes place in the home. First, by instruction, and second, by example. There's teaching, there's modeling. And your life and your speech is to be a constant, consistent reminder of biblical truth and Christian, tr Christian tradition. A Jewish boy or girl would have been taught the law from a very early age. They would have been reminded that they, were a, that they were a people that had a promise from God, a covenant with God. They would have been reminded of their past, of being brought across the Red Sea and how God gave them a pro the promised land and how God delivered them from Egyptian bondage. They would have been reminded that they belonged to Jehovah and that if they disobeyed God, that God would kick them out of the land. The teaching of Jewish children would have been thorough, it was to be intentional, and it was to be repetitive. There were established times in Jewish life where teaching was to be normative. The Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was a day for parents to teach their children. Every year they had a Passover. And on that Passover, parents had the opportunity to once again remind their children of how they crossed over the Red Sea and how God delivered them from Egyptian bondage. We even see the societal structures that help them teach their children. In Joshua chapter 4, as, as Israel is crossing over the Jordan River, Joshua instructs men to grab 12 stones and to carry them across and to place them as a memorial. And the memorial was placed so that when their sons asked them, what are these stones here for? 
It would prompt them to then teach them about how God parted the Jordan, the Jordan River and how they crossed over on dry land. And by the way, because that's so similar to the Red Sea, it would remind them of the crossing of the Red Sea and how God, God delivered them across the, the Red Sea on dry ground as well. And we don't have a society that is built on the Mosaic Covenant or any covenant uh, of the sort like they did. But within our homes, there ought to be a constant, consistent reminder of biblical truth and Christian tradition. One of the crutches in our modern-day Christianity is that we have delegated the parental duty of teaching to the church. And the church cannot be a proxy for teaching your children. The church serves a separate role, one, one in which the church comes alongside and reinforces what the parent teaches the child. Uh, and, 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 but, but God's primary method of the transfer of truth generationally is through the home, not the church. But in order to teach biblical truth, you first have to know biblical truth. It's not merely the job of the pastor to be a theologian. I use that, use that term loosely. It is the job of mom and dad to be a theologian. Do not rely exclusively on the church to teach your children the substitutionary atonement. Do not rely exclusively on the church to teach your children the doctrine of the Trinity. Do not rely on the church to teach your, to teach your child the doctrine of eternal security. And do not rely on the, on the church to teach your children why we wear what we wear. Do not rely on the church to teach your children why we listen to the music that we listen to and why we don't listen to other forms of music. That is not the church's response. That's not, that's not primarily the church's responsibility to teach your children. It is your responsibility as a parent to make sure that the truth is transferred to your children. Furthermore, your children should most certainly learn to share their faith from you. They ought to learn, they, they ought to learn your testimony of faith. I've heard my dad's testimony so many times that I could probably tell it as good as he can. And in fact, some of you probably can as well. Saved as a seven-year-old boy in a white-framed house on Muskogee Road in Cantonment, Florida, he can probably take you to the spot where he knelt down and asked the Lord to save him. I've heard him tell that so many times. Uh, it, is, uh, it is so clear in my mind, so obvious, I think I'll remember that till the day that I die. And I wonder, does your children know your testimony of salvation? I wonder if they know the time that you called out to the Lord for salvation, the time that you realized that you were a sinner. Your children ought to learn. They ought to know, fundamentally, they ought to know that you're a Christian. Not just that you come to church, but that you're a Christian, that you are a born-again believer. And they ought to learn how to, how, to, how, to, how to be able to lead others to come to faith in Jesus Christ through their, through their parents. This, is, this should be normal. This should be normal for Christian, for Christian parents. This is a basic responsibility of Christian parenting, that we teach our children, we instruct our children, but we also teach by way of example. Can you imagine a Jewish father telling his son, the second commandment, that we're not to make any graven images to worship the Lord God, and then that same very day going to an altar of Baal to worshiping, uh, to, to worship to worship Baal, uh, it, would be, uh, it, it, would be, it would be peak hypocrisy. And so it is in our day, in church today, you're going to have a really hard time transferring that truth, making sure that it gets deep in their hearts 
if you don't live what you teach them. If they see mom unwilling to let go of that bitterness, your words are going to fall on deaf ears when you try to get them to let go of that bitterness. If you're unfaithful to church, when they grow up and inevitably go, get out of church altogether, your words are going to fall on deaf ears when you try to get them back in church. As I consider my own childhood and how I grew up and teaching, teaching the truth and how truth was transferred into my heart, you might find it surprising that my dad is not the type to sit down and have long, drawn-out conversations. Um, he, he's, he's, he's not really the kind of person to sit down and have a conversation about worldview or a philosophy or some issue in life. Uh, that's not to suggest that it, by any stretch of the imagination that he neglected his responsibility as father, a spiritual leader in our home. I, I don't think that he did that. I'm not trying to suggest that at all. That's just not how he did it. It's not who, that's, not how, that's not who he was. My mom, on the other hand, oh boy, she lived for those moments. And usually they were late at night. We would be talking until, until the next day, often, oftentimes many hours into the next day, discussing things of life, issues in life, biblical matters, and worldview. So my mom really is the one that instilled a lot of those things in us. But with both of my parents, it was real. It was real. They weren't perfect. By no stretch of the imagination were either one of my parents perfect. But they were real. They were sincere. The example that they established for us was a sincere example. An imperfect but sincere example. And we honor our parents because they are our primary spiritual teachers. But the second reason that we honor them is because they provide discipline. When we consider the fifth commandment, to honor your father and mother, how do we expect a child to honor father, father and mother? How do we expect the child to discover that they have an obligation to honor father and mother? Well, first of all, by teaching. So the, the fifth commandment really is implicitly a commandment to parents to first teach your children to honor father and mother, but then also make sure that they honor father and mother to provide the discipline that they need in order to enforce that, uh, that honoring of father and mother. You know, nature plays a big role in who a person is. And by that I mean that a child is a selfish, manipulative monster. They are monsters. They're all monsters. Now, you all have seen my, my youngest daughter. She is, she is precious. She is, she is sweet. She's beautiful. That child is a monster. Uh, you guys don't see it, but I'm telling you what. Oh, that child has some tendencies that I, I don't know where she got from. They're monsters. And we know, we know where this comes from. They're naturally sinners. And the reason that we honor our parents is because they are the first line of defense from us embracing those sinful, te sinful tendencies in our own heart. And they do so through discipline. It is amazing how, how young children, we've all seen it out in society, how young children can, can really be so depraved. We've all seen the child that has a, you know, five, six, seven years old that has a filthy, vile mouth. We've seen the five and six and seven year old that is defiant against their parents, even at a younger, a younger age. We've seen children that have 
manipulative methods. And just generally, we, we look at some children at such a small age and we think that is an awful person. And they got there because there was no restraining presence in their life. There was no parent to restrain them from, from embracing the sinfulness that was in their heart. And modern day parenting is so off on this. They think you've got to let your children express themselves. You've got to let, their, let your children become who they are going to become. That is totally contrary to the teaching of Scripture. You are to restrain your children from becoming who they really are. Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14 are as clear as day on the method of discipline. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. The scriptural method of discipline is as clear as day. I think what's endorsed in scripture is, uh, couldn't be any clearer, couldn't be made any clearer from the book of, book of Proverbs. And the reality is, is that it still works. Many of us as children were, were disciplined with the rod of correction, to put it kindly. Uh, we could word it a different way, beaten within an inch of our life or something else like that. And at the moment, we did not think that was, uh, that, was, that was very nice. We didn't think that was very good. I remember many occasions as a child wanting to run away from home, <laughs> declaring inwardly my utter hatred of my parents. I, I remember those days. But now looking back, I'm so thankful for the discipline that my parents, parents provided me, although there are a few scars that I have to, to get past <laughs> in saying that. What we learn from discipline is that discipline is a reflection. Our parents' discipline is a reflection of our relationship with God. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 to see this. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 10, Hebrews 12, 5, and 10, 5 to 10, You have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we, not, shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. If you belong to the Lord tonight, he will chasten you. As you begin to stray, he will correct you to come, come back to him. And if there is no evidence of chastening in your life, then there is an evidence that you are not even a son. The fact that he chastens you, the fact that he disciplines you, is evidence that you are his son, that he loves you. You know, if I'm out in town with other small children, say my, my sister's children, I am, I am never going to lift a hand to discipline her children. You know why? Because they're not my children. But if I see my children acting up, we're taking a trip to the car. We're going to have a strong chat. Their own flesh. We're trying to teach them that, that exercising the flesh, to living in the flesh, is a bad thing. That it is bad for them. And if you can train your children through the means of discipline to restrain their own flesh 
and to fear God, you will have given them an inheritance that exceeds all the riches in the world. So why do we honor our parents? We honor our parents because they are primary spiritual teachers and because they provide discipline. These sacred roles are God's means of us passing down gen truth across the generations. But we need to stop here and we need to address the reality that sin causes in the home life. Because not all parents are honorable. honorable. Not all parents do well at parenting. Parents mess up and sometimes they mess up in a big, big way. There are some of you that have had abusive parents. There are some of you that have had drunkards as fathers. Uh, uh, there, 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 are, uh, there are some of you that were abandoned by, by a parent or by both parents. Are you still to honor those that really do not deserve or those that, uh, those that do not seem to deserve that honor? The simple answer is yes. That's the biblical answer. And we shouldn't explain away the clear teaching of Scripture just because it's difficult. Yes, you are to honor your father and mother. But how you honor your father and mother may not look like how I honor my father and mother. It may take a different shape. You may honor your father and mother by forgiving them. I don't really have anything to forgive my parents of. I mean, sure, they, they weren't perfect, but I don't really have to forgive my parents. I, I appreciate how my parents, parents raised me. But we all, every single one of us, regardless of where we come from, have the responsibility to honor our parents. There's a great illustration in Scripture of how to honor a dishonorable parent, and it's the life of Jonathan. And we won't go through the entire story of Jonathan and King Saul. Of course, Jonathan was the son of King Saul who befriended David. We won't go through the whole story, but Jonathan is a great example of how to, how to honor a dishonorable parent. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, this is right after um, David has killed Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, we find Jonathan and David becoming great friends, wonderful friends, best, best of friends. It is shortly thereafter that Saul begins to, uh, to develop an envy of David, begins to hate, begins to develop a hatred of David. And despite this hatred for David, Jonathan continued to love and to embrace his friend, his friend David. He recognized the weakness in his father. And this hatred continued to grow and foster in the heart of Saul, so much so that at one point he tried to kill David himself. In fact, on multiple occasions, tried to kill David. The hatred continued to grow even more beyond that, to the point that he commanded his soldiers, which included Jonathan, to kill David if they got the opportunity to do so. And Jonathan refused to do so. He refused to obey the word of both his king and his father. But this act should not be understood as dishonoring his father, but rather actually honoring his father. Because if he would have, killed, if he would have actually killed David, it would have been a tremendously dishonorable thing to, to King Saul. So Jonathan put his own life at risk to intercede for David before Saul. And that's an honorable thing to do. Because what Saul wants to do in killing David is a very dishonorable thing. It's a thing that, that Saul should, should not want to do. It's, it's something he has no business doing. David is, a, is anointed to be the next, the next king. And we find even at the end of, of Jonathan's life, he is on the battlefield right next to his dad protecting his father. He dies protecting his father. 
And I would say that the most honorable thing about King Saul is that, is that he had such an honorable son in Jonathan. So that, in fact, that's really the only irre irredeemable quality in Saul altogether, is that he had Jonathan. Somehow, he produced Jonathan as, as his son. And what Jonathan teaches us is that, that we, must, we must honor our parents, regardless of whether or not they are honorable or dishonorable. But sometimes the way that we honor our parents is actually by disobeying them. Sometimes the way we honor our parents is by going a different direction than they go. You can honor your parents by repairing the damage that they have done to their own reputation. That's an honorable thing to do. So there are multiple ways to honor our parents, even when they are not honorable. So we consider the who, we consider the what, the why of the command. Now I want to consider in closing the how of this commandment. We'll be very quick because I don't even think we need to, we really don't even need to, to add any kind of exposition on this. We all know how to honor our, our father and mother. Now we'll divide the group into three, the, the, the room tonight, into three groups. There are the children. The children. You honor your parents, most obviously, Paul gives us this instruction, by obeying your father and mother. That's the way that you honor your father and mother is by obeying, obeying them. When your mom or dad tells you to clean your room, you honor your mother, mother and father by cleaning your room and doing so expediently, doing so quickly and with a good attitude. And then we have in the room not only children, but we have teenagers. Teenagers are a different person altogether. You know, teenagers develop a sense of independence. They want a little independence from their parents. But the instructions to the teenager is really the same as to the children, although expanded upon. You honor your parents by obeying them. But you also honor, honor them by trusting them, if, if appropriate. Somewhere along the way in a teenager's life, an eye roll becomes a thing. Actually, eye rolls become a thing way before they're teenagers. How old's JL? Five? Six? Yeah, okay. Yeah, eye rolls become a thing when they're about five, I guess. Somewhere along the way, a rebellious attitude against their parents becomes normal, becomes expected. It becomes the average way of acting. And by the way, I got a really good verse, and I'm, I'm looking forward to having JL memorized. Look with me. Well, you don't have to look there, but let me, let me turn there. Proverbs 30, verse 17. The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out, and the young eagles shall eat it. <laughs> oh, my daughter and I are going to have a time with that verse. There are teenagers, there are young people, and then there are adults. I think this is the primary intended audience of the fifth commandment. And, and to us as adults, we honor our parents in an entirely different way than how we do as children or even how we do as parents. Oh, you, you don't really obey your parents as an adult. In fact, you're not expected to. In some cases, you might have to disobey. But we, but we honor our parents by respecting them, by esteeming their opinion, valuing their presence in our lives, and eventually by taking care of them if, if needed. That's how we honor our parents. The command is very simple. Honor thy father and mother. And every one of us has or has had father and mother in our life. That's how we got here. And we are commanded to honor our father and mother. 
And if we honor our father and mother, even if they're dishonorable parents, the Lord will honor us for obeying his word. 